me on this old man that he just happened to meet accidentally in Taco Bell the other day. And uh, he doesn't know, he didn't know me from Adam. He, doesn't know, he didn't know if I was a Baptist or a Catholic or, or Assembly of God missionary. But he took a chance, and here I am, you know. And you're going to find out tonight, <coughs> my daughter-in-law, Paulina, is with me, and my granddaughter, Ruthie. And uh, Paulina is the director of our children's home in Morelos, Mexico. And her and John, my youngest son, he couldn't come because of other obligations. And my wife couldn't come because she has Alzheimer's. And he's kind of taking care of her. And, and we can't all leave it at the same time anyway because we've got 20 or 25 kids there and about 12 or 15 adults. So uh, she'll be speaking about the children's home tonight. Normally, I talk about our ministry. Uh, but tonight, <coughs> and I have a, a film, a uh, video, but I'm going to bypass the video because I tend to talk too long. I hope I don't keep you too late tonight, uh, but I'm, I'll try to get through by 8 o'clock, brother. Uh, or uh, maybe she'll try to get through by 8 o'clock because she's going to speak after me. But we, had, we went to, we went to uh, Mexico as Free Will Baptist missionaries 28 years ago, but the Free Will Baptist pulled out of Mexico. And uh, the home missions department has nothing to do with Mexico now, haven't for about 15, 20 years. And uh, so we're just independent missionaries. And you'll find out before I get through that I'm different from any missionary you've ever met. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I've started five churches, and I've pastored those five churches. And I preach every Sunday because we have our own church services on the children's home because of the covid but I'm not a preacher. I'm not an ordained preacher. I'm not an ordained preacher. I'm a deacon. And I hope I can encourage, if there are any other lay people here tonight, probably are, most of you, I hope I can encourage you some because I'm just a layman. And I had plans for my retirement. And somebody told me, they said, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Well, I could just hear God laughing. When I, when I bought that house that my wife, Told me, my wife told me every time we'd pass a, a great big white house, 50 feet long, two stories, big white pillars in front, almost like a plantation house. She said, When I was a kid, my dad, who was a poor free will Baptist pastor, by the way, uh, when we'd drive by this house, I always thought, must be a little princess that lives there, because she'd see a little girl about her age out in the yard sometimes. And she said, I've always wanted to live in that house. Well, in 1984, I bought that house for my wife. I was a state farm insurance agent. I was very happy with my job. I made good money, and uh, I liked doing what I was doing. And I bought that house in 10 acres. had a little pony came with it. had two uh, early teenage boys. And uh, I made it. I, I told everybody I'm going to name this place Aquimecado. And Aquimecado in Spanish means here I stay. That's when I started hearing God laugh. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to retire here, and I'm going to stay here. And so... Along uh, about 19, uh, late 1980s, after we've been there five or six, seven years, uh, my wife's cousin from the First Baptist Church in Claremore, Oklahoma, told my wife, she said, we're going with a group from Mississippi, uh, a Baptist group called uh, the Honduran Medical and Dental Mission to a, a mission in Honduras, and we want you to go with us. And my wife and I have spoken Spanish ever since the year after we got married. We went in the Peace Corps. We joined the Peace Corps and went to Bolivia, and we learned Spanish in Bolivia. And ever since then, we've worked with Hispanic people. 
but I never thought I'd ever become a missionary. And so I had a guy come into my office one day, a, a Mexican fellow, and he was talking to me. He told me, he said, I'm a Christian, and I want you to pray uh, about something for me. And I said, what's that? He said, I want you to pray that God will send somebody to my people. And he said, my family is not, are not Christians, and, and pray that God will send. I said, okay, let's pray right now. We did. We prayed, and I would pray God send somebody to Jose's people in Mexico. God send somebody to that family to speak to them. And I had this voice in my head that said, you can go. You speak Spanish. And I said, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, I'm so happy. I've, got a, I've built up a good business. And uh, it, I said, God, if you'll just let me stay here and keep this business and keep that house I bought for my wife, let me retire there. I'll send $5,000 every year to Mexico. And uh, now I heard this voice again. You can go. You speak Spanish. You can go. And eventually I prayed, God, if you'll let me stay here and keep this business and keep that house that I bought for Ruth, I'll send $10,000 a year to Mexico. And God said, you can go. You speak Spanish. You, that, that was in my head all the time. You can go. You speak Spanish. And I was thinking about raising it up to 12500 but I figured... <laughs> I figured God was going to say the same thing to me. So I told my wife, we'd been going to Mexico. Uh, we made 10 trips to Honduras and Nicaragua. And if I have time, I'm going to tell you a, a God story about one little town that we went to. Uh, I have so many stories I could tell you. I just, uh, my work has been evangelism, and mostly person to person, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, going door to door. I have people tell me all the time, door to door, uh, just doesn't work anymore. Knocking on doors just doesn't work anymore. But you know, it really does. And I hope I hope I can encourage you, because you know, sometimes I'll ask people in a church service like this, "How many missionaries are there here?" And I'm the only one to raise my hand, and Paulina. <laughs> but really, every one of you, if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Uh, God said uh, Jesus told us to go to our neighbor. That's the name of our ministry: is Rainbow Ministries to Prohimo, dash to Prohimo. A couple of years ago, I thought about changing that name because uh, it had been kind of corrupted a little bit. But God told me, no, that's my covenant to you, the rainbow. So we kept the name Rainbow Ministries. And the two prohimo, uh, in English, that verse reads, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But in Spanish, uh, it reads, love the person next to you as you love yourself. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because there's two words in Spanish for neighbor. One is the word we use, like the person next door and the person across the street. But the other word is the person next to you. So tomorrow, when you go to work, or you go to school, or you go to the post office, or you go to buy groceries, or wherever you go, that person behind you in line, that person in front of you in the line, that cashier you're talking to, uh, it doesn't matter what color they are, what race they are, what language they speak, where they came from, Jesus said, Love your prohimo, the, the person next to you, as you love yourself. And if we love them as we love ourselves, we're going we're gonna to try to convert them, get them into the church, get them saved. Now, in Mexico, uh, the word saved, 95% of the people in Mexico are Catholic. And the word saved does not enter their vocabulary. The priest has never told them, you have to be saved to go to heaven. He's never told them you need to be born again. If he did, if that word is mentioned, or when I mention that to them, uh, they say, what do you mean saved? What do you mean born again? And so I explained it to them. 
Okay, I'm going to tell you a, a, a story real quick before I forget it. Because I always pray, God, I want, you to, I want you to tell me what to say to this group tonight. There's somebody here that needs to hear this. And uh, remember, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. And we had a big auction, a two-day auction, sold everything we owned, and we went to Mexico in 1995. I took early retirement from State Farm Insurance, and uh, now my wife and I both get Social Security, so we have no salary. We don't need a salary. We don't even touch our Social Security. We live on that $1,000 a month that I get from State Farm. That's all we need, and I, and I even save some of that. But we went to a village in, in uh, Nicaragua, 4,000 people, way back up in the mountains. Only church in town besides the Catholic Church was the Assembly of God Church. There was no Baptist church. We normally went to the Baptist church. That was our headquarters, and we worked out of the Baptist church. But there was no Baptist church in this town. It was so remote that they never had another church, just that one church, 4,000 people, Assembly of God Church, and a Catholic church. The Catholic church, of course, was on the plaza. It took up a whole block on the plaza, just like it does in every town in Mexico. And so the guy in charge, our director, he told me, he said, Bud, I don't want you... I don't want you translating for the doctors this year. We've got plenty of translators. I want you to go door to door and, uh, and witness to people, get people saved. And so I said, okay, I can do that. That's what I like to do. And so I went down to the corner. I'm going to try to make this as short as I can, but I want you to get the message. I went down to the corner. I prayed in front of the Catholic Church. I prayed, God, show me where to start and show me which house to go to. And I got the distinct impression to go down to this corner down here and start and, it, and to knock on doors. If they invited me in their house, to go in and witness to them. But if they did not invite me in the house, to go check the dust off my feet and go into the next house. I had a very distinct impression on it. So I went down to that corner and I stood there and trying to decide, do I want to go down this side of the street or go down that side of the street? And about that time, a guy, Caddy cornered over, standing in his doorway, and he hollered at me. He, he said, come here, I want to talk to you. I went over there, and he said, are you with that group that came, uh, the doctors and things? I said, yeah, I'm with them. And he said, well, come on inside. I want to talk to you. So I went inside, and he, he introduced me to his wife and introduced me to his four grown daughters. They were in their 20s, and they were all there cooking that day because that, every, every week they'd have one day where they cooked a big meal for the whole family came in, and they all ate together. And that was the day they were cooking to eat, and there was a friend of his leaning up against the wall over there named Jose. And he said, sit down, I want to ask you a question. So I sat down, and he asked me a few questions about snow, what, you know, there was no snow in Nicaragua. He asked me what snow was like, which I couldn't answer. And then he said, I want to ask you a question. How come you guys don't pray to Mary? And I said, would you like to know why we don't pray to Mary? And he said, yes, I would. I said, we don't pray to Mary because I'm going to show you a verse in the Bible that tells you not to pray to Mary. Anybody know where that verse is? John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That says to me that we don't pray to any saint. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to our parents who are in heaven. We pray to Jesus. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know, you're right. And so I went through a tract I had with me. Uh, called First Steps, put out by the Child Evangelism Fellowship in Missouri. And I carried that with me all the time. And I went through that tract, and when I got through, I said, <clears throat> do you understand what you need to do to be saved? And he said, yes, I do. 
I said, are you ready to pray to, to accept Jesus as your Savior? And he said, yes, I am. And he looked at his wife, and she said, me too. Everybody had just been standing there listening to us. Uh, they, the girls quit cooking. They were just standing there listening to everything we said. And he looked at each daughter, four of them, and each one of them shook their head, me too. And I said, okay, come over here, and let's get together and pray. They came over, and as we held hands in a circle, and we were starting to pray, I heard a distinct voice say, what about me? And I looked over, and I'd forgotten about Jose leaning against the wall over there. He said, what about me? And I, I, I said, come over here. If, you want, if you're ready to pray to Jesus to be saved, come over here. And he came over, got seven people in the very first house. Uh, and it was, I have a tendency to use the I word too much and the we word, but that was all God's planning right there. He did all of that. All I did was just open up my tract and talk to them. But I, seven people in that first house got saved. Then I went on down the street, and the first four or five houses the people uh, did not respond. They'd come to the door, but I could tell they were looking off and they were not interested. So I'd invite them to come to the revival that night or invite them to come see the doctors or the dentist or the pharmacist or the oculist, and then I'd go into the next house. Now, the people didn't have doors there. It doesn't get cold at all there where we were. never gets down below probably 50 degrees at, at the worst. And so nobody has a door. They have curtains hanging over the front door, and you have to clap your hands instead of knocking there's nothing to knock on and so I went to about the about the sixth house I clapped my hands and a little old lady uh, started to say about my age but she's probably younger than me I just always think people are older than me but she came to the door and she started talking to me and I, I never ask in Mexico or in Central America wherever I'm at but I never ask people are you a Christian because there's a reason for that because they always say yes you see, they were baptized when they were a baby. And they were Christian when they were about five or six years old, their first communion. And so they're on their way to heaven. And the priest, they, they don't know anything about the Bible because the priest will not let them have a Bible. If they have a Bible, he takes it away from them. And he says, if he has the Protestant Bible, a King James Version, or the equivalent to the King James he says, uh, let me see that. I want to take that and study it and see what the difference is. And he'll take it and never bring it back. So people, people tell me sometimes, like when I read that verse to them, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They'll say, but you're reading that through your Bible. You're reading that from your Bible. And then I say, well, let me show you something. And I'll open up my, the big Bible I use, and I show them the very first page, and it says, the Catholic Bible. I said, in the Catholic Bible, it says the same things it does in my Bible. Jesus said, the only way you're going to get to heaven is through me. And they, they tell me that a lot of times. And so this lady told me, I, I didn't ask her if she was saved. I said, I said, where do you go to church? And I expected her to say the Catholic church. Most people do. And she said, I go to the Assembly of God church, the only, only other church in town, only evangelical church in town. And I said, are all your people Christians, all your family? And she said, everybody in my family is a Christian except my son. And he's, he was sitting right over there on a bench. A little two-room house, dirt floor. She cooked outside on a campfire. And uh, her son was a uh, sculptor for the government in Nicaragua. And he had never been back home since he had married and had a little two-year-old boy with him. He had his wife and two-year-old son with him. And so... She said, everybody in my family is a Christian except my son. 
So I went over and sat down on the bench. About nothing in that room, dirt floor, uh, a chair where I'd been sitting, and a little table and a little bench over against the wall where they were sitting. It was the only thing, only furniture in the room. And I sat down beside them, and I started witnessing to them. And the boy told me, he said, my mother always took me to church, to the Assembly of God Church. And I knew what I needed to do to get saved, but I never did get saved. I never did do it. And I said, well, I want to show you something. So I took my tract out. I went through it, and I assumed that his wife had never been in a, in a church, uh, evangelical church. I went through that, and when I got through, I said, are you ready to pray to receive Jesus as your Savior? And they both said yes. And so we got down, kneeled down on that dirt floor, and they prayed and received the Lord. Now, this part of the, uh, the last part of the story makes a hair on my head just stand straight up. So you can imagine that. <laughs> I came back two or three days later, and I clapped my hands, and she came to the door, and when she opened the door, I was there on Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember what day it was, but it's on the weekend. She came to the door, and she started crying. And she said, I'm so glad you came. She said, I knew you were coming, but I didn't know who was coming, but I knew somebody was coming. Because she said, four months ago, my son wrote me a letter. And he said, Mama, she never had met her daughter-in-law. She never had met her grandson, two-year-old grandson. He said, Mama, I'm bringing my wife and my little boy home for you to get to know them, to meet them. We'll just be there for the weekend, but we're going to come see you on July the 7th. Well, that was the day I was there. And she said, I knew you was coming. She said, I've been praying every day for four months. God sent somebody to speak to my son on July the 7th. And she said, you came. God sent you. That's the way God works. God is so good. He's been so good to us. I took a, a team down. And by the way, I'll invite you to come down and visit us. You can make a mission trip to Morelos, Mexico, you can drive all the way. You can drive, actually drive four lane. Once you get on the uh, interstate, you can drive four lane all the way to Morelos within six blocks of our house, the four lane all the way. The four lane, the 40 miles into Mexico, four lane is heavily patrolled by the police and the soldiers. It's very safe. The, the drug cartels do not bother us. They even bring toys at Christmas occasionally for the kids. So we invite you to come down. We have a, a 45... Uh, a 45-bed uh, dormitory for people to stay in, and we have a, a big kitchen and dining room for 40 people, and we invite you to come down. And don't let me scare you with the drug cartels, because <laughs> they do leave us alone. Uh, <coughs> I have been stopped twice by the drug cartels. I wish I had a picture of my disguise. I, do, I grew a disguise. I, I grew a long gray beard. I put on sunglasses so they couldn't see my blue eyes. I put on an old beat-up hat. I run over with my pickup, straw hat, so they couldn't see my bald head because there's no bald-headed Mexicans. <laughs> the men just don't get bald-headed Mexicans. That was my disguise. And I had on old clothes. I actually had a pair of shoes that my, I had on white socks and a, my toe stuck out. I mean, I was a homeless man. And I rode the bus, and they, uh, the drunk cartel stopped the bus, and they had a guy in front with a, automatic weapon, and a guy in the back of the bus with an automatic weapon, and he said, everybody get off the bus and take your carry-ons with you. And they went through everything they had. They took what they wanted. They took their watches. They took their billfolds, their money. 
uh, jewelry, and, and I let everybody get off the bus. And then I stood up to get off, and the guy with the gun, I was on the very front seat. The guy standing there by the gun, he looked over at me and said, oh, sit back down. So I got to stay on the bus and sit down. Now, to prove that that was a good disguise, more than that, I came back to far Texas, and I was working in my backyard. We have a little house that I bought for $16,000 28 years ago. You can imagine what it looks like. It's just a little two-bedroom house that we use to stay in when we come back across the border. And I was there working in the backyard. I just got back from Mexico, from a bus trip to Mexico. And I thought, I've got to go to the bank. And I got on my bicycle with my disguise on still, and I went up to the bank. And when I got to the corner at the red light, I waited, and I went across, and I picked up a flattened-out Pepsi can, and I put it in my basket because my granddaughter that lives there in Florida collected she was about 14 years old, and she collected aluminum cans. So I put it in my basket, and I went across, and there was a homeless man there, an actual homeless man. Had his Walmart cart full of plastic jugs and so on. And he called me over, and he said, hey, back here in the grass there's some cans if you want them. So I went back there, and there was three or four big beer cans about that tall, and they were still kind of cold. I think he just got through drinking them. But I <laughs> smashed them, put them in my basket, and went on to the bank. When I came back from the bank on my bicycle, he called me over again. He said, come over here, come over here. And I went over there and he said, here, gave me a $5 bill. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, go get you something good to eat. <laughs> I went home and told my wife and she did the same thing you just did. <laughs> But that proved that, that my disguise worked. I, was a, I looked like a homeless guy. <coughs> the next time they stopped me, I was in my pickup. And that's what, well, the first time they stopped me, I was in a pickup. second time, I was in the bus. Because when they stopped me in my pickup, I saw I wouldn't drive my pickup down anymore. I'd ride the bus down to the Bible Institute where we were teaching. And a fellow came up to my door, and he said, he said, you need to pay. If you're going to travel this road, you need to pay us. Now, I didn't ask him how much. I started talking to him, and uh, he said, everybody that goes down this road has to pay us a, a, a fee. And so I, I reached in my shirt pocket, and I pulled out $3. I, had, I knew I had $3 in my shirt pocket. And I told him, I said, here, this is, this is all the change I've got. And this is the change from the toll I paid on the bridge. And I handed it to him, $3. And he looked at it, and you know what he said? Because sometimes they kidnap Americans and demand a $10,000 ransom. I could tell you some horror stories about things they've done too, but I won't. But he, he said to me, he said, I guess I can buy me a Coke with this. <laughs> and he went back and got in his car and I went on. So that's when I decided I'd better wear my disguise. But God has been so good to us. Uh, in that little village in Nicaragua, Every other village we'd gone to, we went through the Baptist church. That, one, that particular time, we didn't because of the Assembly of God was the only church. But 4,000 people, believe it or not, we had a, every time somebody came to, we had three or four, five, six tables, a doctor at two or three of them. And uh, my wife was a registered nurse, and she was at one table, two or three other registered nurses. And they all, every time they saw a patient, they were witness to them. And people would pray right there at the doctor's table sometimes and accept the Lord. In that little 4,000 people village, and others came uh, from out uh, around, but we had over 700 people accept the Lord that week. 700 people. 
And it's amazing to me how God works. God is so great. You know, back <clears throat> when I was in school, when I graduated from high school in 1958, uh, I always have to stop right there because everybody, nobody's listening to me now because everybody's calculating how old I am. <laughs> I might have been real young. You know, I might have been a child prodigy and graduated real young, so it doesn't work. But anyway, back in 1958, I, was, I attended a little school called Dundee High School in the country, in the oil fields, and uh, I only had 12 people in my graduating class. But every day when we had lunch, we would pray. Everybody would, would stand up at their table and pray, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for this food. All the way from first grade till I graduated. We could pray that prayer every day. You can't do that now. It just doesn't seem that they'll let you do that. And we, we did the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. God was good to us. And God is great. And we all need to be, we all need to be evangelists. We all need to be missionaries. And remember that when you go out tomorrow, you and you see somebody, whoever it is, wherever it's at, you are a missionary. I'm just a deacon. I'm just a layman. And most of you are just laymen. But you are missionaries also. And you could fill this church overflowing uh, if you would just remember one thing. If you're afraid to ask people, if you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? If you die tonight, you know you're going to go to heaven. Or if you're afraid to say, are you a Christian? Uh, then at least you can do this. You can say, you know, while you're visiting with them, where do you go to church? Like I do in Mexico. Where do you go to church, by the way? And you're going to be surprised how many people will respond. Most of them will respond and say, I go to my brother-in-law's church or I go to the Baptist church or I go to the Assembly of God church. But there will be a certain number of people that will tell you, you know, when I was a kid, my folks took me to church all the time. But when I got grown and married, I decided I didn't have to go to church. But my wife wants to get our kids back in church. Well, there's your opening right there. You know the best church in the area? You know the best pastor in the area. Invite them to come here and listen to Brother Israel. That's one thing you can do as a missionary here in your, on your home field, right here. So remember what God said. One more little story I'm going to tell you. I'm going to turn this over to her and show her her slide. And uh, I'm going to tell you this real quick. Oh, I'm sorry. My time is up. So I'm going to let her show her film. But, but real quickly, I will tell you. <laughs> I had a team from Oklahoma came down. <laughs> Does anybody ring a bell or anything at 8 o'clock? I, I may not... <laughs> I had a team from Oklahoma came down, mostly young people. And we were at the Bible Institute in Altamira, a town of 85,000 people in Mexico. Ten miles away was Tampico, a town of 250,000, 300,000 people. And this was 30 years ago when we first, before we actually moved to Mexico. And as we were going down the street, those kids saw the one and only McDonald's in that town of 250,000 people. There were no American fast foods in it except that one McDonald's. And they started yelling, hey, there's the McDonald's. Let's get the Big Mac. Let's go in. Let's, let's eat there at the McDonald's. I said, wait, 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 wait. We can't do that. And they said, why? I said, it's against my religion. It's against your religion? How come? I said, because you guys, where you live, you can eat at McDonald's three times a day, three different McDonald's probably. And when you come to Mexico, we're going to eat tacos. And so the bus driver pulled in, and everybody got out including my wife, 
And they went inside, but I said, I'm not going in. I'm going to take a walk, and I'll meet you back here in 45 minutes. So I started down the sidewalk, and it was a busy street and town of 250,000 people. And there was a guy down at the end of the side, way down there, about 100 yards. I could see him. He just stopped and saw me coming, and I feel like he had been waiting for me for 90 years. I, that, didn't, that thought didn't come to me at that time, but I thought, I think that guy's waiting on me. So I got down to him, and I started talking to him. A little old man with the white hair, and I asked, after I talked to him a little bit, I, I asked him, I said, where do you go to church? And he surprised me. He said, I've never been in a church in my life, never been inside a church in my life. And I said, you've never been inside a church, not even for a wedding or, no, never been inside a church. I said, how come? He said, because we live so far back up in the mountains, uh, my mother and dad didn't know what a church was either. There was no church anywhere near us, and we never went to church. And so I said, I, was, I called his name, and I said, you know, you're, uh, I had already asked him how old he was, and he told me he was 90 years old. He had a wheelbarrow with a flat tire and a machete, and he worked cutting limbs off of trees for or shrubs and things for people just to get enough money, he said, to buy his tortillas with. And I said, you're 90 years old, and I'm younger than you. Not much, but I'm younger than you. I said, I may die before you do, but I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Wouldn't you like to know that you could go to heaven when you die? And he said, well, I guess so. And I said, okay, let me tell you how you can get to heaven when you die. And I went to him. He prayed right there on that sidewalk to accept Jesus. I felt like he had been waiting for me for 90 years. That man, come on up. Ruthie's going to sing for you, my granddaughter. And uh, then we'll show the... the uh,